Welcome back, everyone. This is Eric Elveson with the Digital Education Podcast. Always appreciate when you join me um, and join in these conversations where I get to talk to amazing people, amazing educators, um, colleagues and friends who are doing innovative work in our profession and have hope for the good work of what we get to do um, as educators and in, in schools. Today, I'm with uh, Caitlin Condi. So the interesting thing about Caitlin is she's a classroom teacher who worked her way to the Department of Education and worked in policy and then now has become, over a period of time, has become a founder of, Con of Condi Consulting. And she says she's focused on helping America's students, families, schools, and communities achieve at their highest level by developing, strategizing, and executing on solutions to their problems and challenges. So we'll talk about problems and challenges later. But Caitlin, number one, thank you. Number two, tell us a little bit more how you kind of found yourself from a classroom teacher to the ed policy world and the work at the Department of Education and uh, the Center for Education Reform to now your, your own consulting company. Sure. Um, well, thank you, Eric. I think I um, reached out to you maybe at this point well, however long ago. And from our first conversation, every single time we have chatted, connected, I leave our discussions, you know, with this new hope, this new um, invigorated energy to get after it, to make the changes, to dive in deeper to the problems. Um, and after, you know, listening to the introduction to the podcast and, you know, knowing a little bit about what it's about, I am not surprised. And I can only imagine how everybody feels after listening to you lead these conversations. So I'm very grateful to be here and I'm very appreciative of the opportunity to chat with you. Um, yes, I started my career in education, honestly, even before I was a classroom teacher, I worked, um, all throughout middle school and high school, my summer jobs, uh, had to do with students, kids. Um, I was camp counselor. I was working in nursery schools. Um, I am the oldest of four siblings, and I think it always felt natural to sort of be um, around a bunch of other, you know, kids and students and sort of taking on that leadership role. Um, so I, yeah, I loved the school environment, um, which is interesting because I actually struggled in school myself. Um, I found out somewhere in the middle school years that the reasoning for my struggle was dyslexia, dysgraphia, um, a couple other learning differences, learning style differences. And so ultimately that ended up being the reasoning why I went into teaching. I, um, so again, like in my school year or in the months during the school years, I was poured into by terrific teachers, people that believed in me, people that supported me, people that, you know, made accommodations to try and allow me to share what I know, even though that wasn't always coming through on the typical assessments. Um, and then again, in the off school year months, <laughs> I was finding myself in classrooms as the other side of things, working as the, you know, some of the teachers and with the teachers. Um, Needless to say, I landed uh, working in a classroom. I taught kindergarten 
And I was simultaneously getting my master's in reading instruction and curriculum theory. So I was a woman on a mission. I knew that I had been helped um, and, and, you know, supported because of the educators I had in my life. And I was really set on being that for someone else. Um, then I had the great opportunity of, you know, being in a classroom and, and trying to be that for a lot of other people, a lot of students supporting their families. And that was wonderful. Had you asked me 10 years ago, if that was going to be my life forever, I confidently would have said, I'm never leaving the classroom. <laughs> um, lo and behold, I, found myself with a really unique opportunity to go and work uh, in the U.S. Department of Education in the Office of Elementary and Secondary Ed. So I was traveling around to see schools all over the area, all over the country. We were setting up visits with um, the, the mission was to create visits where everybody in the education space had a voice at the table. So we had uh, school leaders, teachers, parents, students, community partners, all at these visits. And they would talk, what's going well? What are people struggling with? What needs to be changed? What's happening at a federal level that can support the work state and locally and vice versa? Um, we just had, you know, terrific conversations. Um, and then after my stint at the department, I went into the advocacy space and again, education advocacy, um, and dipped my toes in, in further into the policy world. And again, I found myself in conversations with these full tables that had perspectives and viewpoints from all sorts of different places in the education sector, ed tech people, um, again, you know, your local and elected policy officials, your parents, your advocates, your students. Um, and all of it continued to remind me, A, there's a lot of work to be done, but B, and I don't think this is talked about in the broader scope nearly enough, there is so much good work happening. Um, and when you sort of pull back and go into these very... Um, interesting locations, sometimes highly resourced and sometimes not, there's really impressive stuff happening. And so I sort of, at that point, thought to myself, I wonder if there's a way that I could actually be doing work in all three of these buckets, policy, advocacy, and practice. Um, and so to, can, to add to my long-winded answer to your original question, that's what I did. I created Condi Consulting, and we work on projects in all of those three buckets, practice, policy, and advocacy. And we um, pride ourselves in being able to come into projects, attack challenges, not just from the vantage point of we can solve your problem, but we will create a team, a group of people, resources, um, in, in experience to come in and solve and work together and tackle the challenges. And so that's sort of how all of my background kind of threw me into where I currently sit, which is in Condi Consulting. I love it. So there's so many directions I could go now, but I, I want to take it to the conversational because the place where you invited me into experience your work is you do these meetups and and I appreciate in your story you tell about 
you know, bringing people to the table, bringing people into conversation, bringing, you know, people at all different levels of the education system into relationship and into conversation to talk about our profession, the work of our profession. So, to, and, and, and I appreciate your heart for that because out of that creates immense conversation, creates a network and creates an opportunity, but then an appreciation for people doing all kinds of different work. Tell us a little bit more about the meetups, because then I've got some questions after that for you. Okay. So we started this idea um, about two years ago uh, to create a meetup, um, which is at this point, um, it's a virtual convening with participants um, from all over the country. Actually, now we're all over the world. We have participants from London, South Africa. But the idea is to all come together for 60 minutes and to participate in a conversation that acts as a launch pad. So oftentimes, well, I'll just um, share a little bit about my personal feelings. I like to have um, a clear set of expectations within to operate. So I like to know what, um, what I can expect from something. I think that's probably the case for most people, but that has informed my way of discussing meetups insofar as the meetup intention is to be a launch pad for further conversation. And that means that we bring everybody together or people sign up, people are suggested to attend people, um, you know, come with their, a coworker, however it is. And they join a conversation. And throughout this conversation, we have introductions. People share after their introduction, some component of a personal experience, um, the degree, the degree to which, you know, that experience is shared or, or, or the personal connection is, is up to them. And then after that, so after everybody sort of has a sense of who's on the call and who's uh, in the proverbial room with them, they, we then go into a facilitated discussion and the facilitated discussion is typically facilitated by me. And the idea is to highlight everybody's different experiences to build off of those experiences in a sense of how they can support and relate to other participants on the call. And then it's to just kind of spark new ideas. It's to light those little fires that people can then take back to their community, back to their school, back to their constituents and say, we're going to build on this. We're going to light this a little bit further. We're going to take this to the next level. Um, and then the best part is after people do that, after they take their new connections, after they take their new ideas, after they take their new thoughts back to their own worlds, um, they then share with us what they turned into, what they created. Um, and it never, ever ceases to amaze me how people develop those ideas in, in their own worlds simply because they had a space where they were able to connect with people that they never would have prior to the meetup. And they were made aware of thoughts and ideas that they would not have been made aware of prior to the meetup as well. And then you leave and you have the experts, you have other people that are also doing those things to rely on for support, to ask further questions of, you know, you've made those, those friendships. And then 
I, I actually should say you've started those friendships, you then make them and continue them sort of outside. So there's definitely an onus. You have to be, um, you have to be accountable to what you want to make it and then, you know, turn it into that. We definitely provide a lot of support. Um, prior to the meetups, we send out documentation for people to submit sort of quick answers, who they are, what they're engaged in, what their innovative practices are. Um, and then we send out follow-up uh, documentation that recaps what the conversation um, included, really interesting mentions or points to continue, um, quotes. So that's sort of how the meetups operate. Um, it, it's, it's pretty amazing because in some ways, like you get a seat at the table to gather all of these amazing, and I've participated in two of them and I'm sitting you know, on the virtual Zoom call at the virtual Zoom table. And I'm like, this is amazing. I can't believe I'm in the same, you know, conversation with so-and-so or with so-and-so. And and you get to host that and to listen in. So I'm wondering if if you might be able to give me some, and you never, ever chime in. You facilitate. You don't chime in with your opinion, which I appreciate too. You allow the participants. And so you're probably the biggest learner of the group um, and you get to watch that. So I'm going to ask you a couple of series of questions, just, you know, as you think about your reflections, as you do those meetups, what would you say is, is people's, you know, when people have these conversations and when, when you're in meetups, what would you say maybe the biggest challenge in our profession is right now? <clears throat> I would say excuse me, that the biggest challenge in our profession, you know what, I'm going to be really honest. I'm going to tell you exactly what I think the biggest challenge in our profession is. I think it is, um, and it's, it's a, there's a lot of bunch, a lot of challenge wrapped up sort of into one and I'll do the best I can at articulating my sentiments around this question. I think it is this notion that we have problems and we have to create new solutions. And in that, we we have to start from scratch. We have to do something that's never been done before. We have to create new material out of, um, you know, different pieces that, that no longer are working. And, you know, or, or new material out of thin air. And I guess what I would say is that after these conversations, I don't even think it's a stretch for me to declare this. Every single person realizes, oh my goodness, there's actually a solution to my problem out there. Or there is actually somebody else with my same challenge and what they're doing to address it is different than what I'm doing. But if we brought it together, if we merged both of our solutions, we might have something really powerful. And so it's this defeated feeling that sort of happens before um, you can even get going on what on creating a solution because you immediately feel this way. And, and I have felt this way in actually all the different parts of my experience in education as a teacher. You know, I had students that weren't, I, I wasn't able to give them the differentiation of instruction that they needed when I had 22 other kids in the class and it was just me. But there is somebody else out there who, and and more than just somebody who's struggling with that same thing and their way of attacking that challenge was very different than how I was. So once I ma was made aware of their solution, 
I was like, oh my goodness, I can merge that with mine. And then we're going to talk to a third person who's also struggling. And, you know, their uh, way of solving for the issue is even just a bit different than both of ours. Now, suddenly we have three different perspectives on a somewhat similar solution. And then you can build upon it. And so I find that the feedback I most frequently receive is commenting on, on that Um, This idea that, you know, hearing from other people, sparking new ideas that they then build upon or that makes sense that they're able to take back into their own community and do what makes sense with their world in their world with their community is is so helpful. That's why people enjoy these meetups. And I do think that that highlights the biggest challenge right now is that this it's defeating. It's this idea that these problems, while we might not have ever faced these specific problems before, we have faced problems of similar nature and we have created lots of people, different solutions to attack those problems. We just have to share it. We just have to share it. I, I love it because in your answer, the problem is is it's hope-filled, right? Because you, you even say, you know, like, hey, here's the problem, but Here's where here's where the hope is in that. You, when you think about this from an educator's perspective, and then put on that experience that you had at the Department of Education, and we we have you know kind of this experience where my colleague John Ecker talks about you know working with a policymaker who said we need to decomplexify something for teachers, and he's like he, he just made up a word you know for simplify, and mm-hmm. we want to do this to people. How do we think about this where where you're thinking about like, hey, you know what? The solution's out there. People are doing good work. We just got to put people together and let them continue to do the good work together. What would be your encouragement? I, I'm interested in two parts of this. The encouragement to the policymaker to honor and value the classroom teacher, right? And the professional in the classroom. And then the classroom teacher and that professional that maybe was like you and I that said, yeah, this is where I'm going to be for my career. You know, like what would be your encouragement for the classroom teacher that's staying in the classroom that says, hey, but there's ways to engage in this and to build upward. And then the policymaker that's, what would be your encouragement to say, hey, this is how you honor, or this is how you can honor the work that's happening in that classroom? Yeah, that's such a good question because that's something that I feel really strongly about, like the respect and the appropriate um, power we give to all the different voices because the challenges are out there and of which there are many, but the solutions are out there and different voices need to contribute to the solutions. And each contributing voice is really valuable. Um, I think that the idea, so having, you know, been a teacher and working in so many cases with so many educators, there is no way to experience, I have yet to find a way to experience what it feels like to be in a classroom and to have that responsibility of educating students while also managing all the other variables that educators have to deal with. And I don't know that it's the right thing to say, well, everybody should experience it. 
because I'm not sure that that's the most effective way for everybody to have that approach to a conversation, which I think leads me to what your question is, which is when you have these different perspectives at the table, how do you encourage the participation and value the participation of the different experiences when some people haven't actually experienced what it is you're talking about? Um, you know, if you have a policymaker that's never been a classroom teacher, they have to rely, trust, respect, and listen to what the classroom teachers are saying, to what the practitioners are communicating. In the same way that the classroom teachers, the practitioners, and the, um, you know, in-school uh, personnel, they have to understand that there's another vantage point that they also don't have. And that would be a policymaker. That would be a, a community partner. And so, you know, and this goes back, um, there is a point to what I'm about to make. <laughs> this goes back to what we spent a lot of time teaching when I was a kindergarten teacher, listening and like the, the beautiful, um, nature of what it means to listen. You're not listening for a pause in someone's sentence so that you can begin interjecting. You're not listening for, you know, a break in someone's thought or a breath in their articulation so that you can immediately start talking. What the purposes of listening is to understand and hear what someone else is trying to communicate to you. If every policymaker approached conversations around education with the perspective of trying to understand what the educator is communicating. The educator is trying to tell me um, my the classroom sizes are too big and the efficacy of my teaching is no longer where it needs to be to get to every student. Well, then the policymaker is suddenly sitting there thinking, what must that feel like to, you know, have too many students and, or, or whatever it is? I'm not sure that's the greatest example, but we're going to go with it. What must it feel like for that educator? Okay, what are they trying to tell me? They're trying to tell me that they're not able to support their students the best way they would like to because of this circumstance. Okay, well, then let's address that circumstance. Let's brainstorm together what it looks like to solve for that factor. And then we'll continue with this example. In that conversation, you have the practitioner and they're listening to a policymaker say, we don't have the budget. We don't have the resources to make this change. Okay, well, there's one, you know, you could continue to bark back and say, well, you do, well, you do, well, you do. Or you could listen to what they're trying to communicate back to you. They're trying to tell me that the way their resources are allocated, this solution doesn't make sense. Let's try to brainstorm a new one with them. Let's try to understand that. And so I think that, I mean, I don't know if it's counterintuitive for everybody. I guess sometimes it feels counterintuitive for me, but the way to encourage and to communicate and to support these participants and to the, and these people in different positions than, than yourself is to actually, you know, pause a bit on the communicating and just try to listen, try to hear what someone is actually saying 
and then um, begin that conversation. It, it, it's amazing because this is, is such a personal like challenge of mind, right? And you you draw back to it's like, hey, we we taught this in kindergarten, right? This is like foundational stuff. Listen to understand rather than listening to reply. Um, that's been like a mantra of mine. Like I need to learn this and I need to get better at that. And it's fascinating you bring up some different things there because I was just working with somebody this week on trying to get credentialed as a California um, administrator. And oh my goodness, like, I'm like, why would anyone want to do this? And why in the world have they made it so complicated, not even hard, just complicated that like, man, like this is crazy. And so, you know, so it is that place where obviously you look at something and someone's not asking the questions or not listening. And then other people, it's like, you know, the, you're just creating barriers for people to like, no, I'm not going to do this. And which was a little bit of the conversation I had. So let me finish this last question for you. And, and I, I love this conversation, but you know, we're finishing 2023. Um, it feels like we're ending, but we're also beginning in some ways, you know, new things, you know, especially in a lot of ways in education as things kind of especially definitely come out of the end of the COVID period. And then we we're moving into new spaces and new, you know, futures. It's been a really interesting year when you look at it. But for 2024, what gets you excited for the work ahead? I love the idea of more meetups because I love the idea of more voices in the, at the table, but specifically to students and specifically to education. The idea that gets me so jazzed is this notion of um, activity-based learning or unconventional um, learning situations, unconventional learning opportunities. I hear about so many schools that are taking learning outside of the classroom and honestly taking learning outside of the school. And they, that doesn't mean that they are not teaching, you know, in reading, writing, arithmetic, all of that, because they are, and they're doing it in such applicable ways where the student's engagement is next level because suddenly they're learning math through constructing forts they're learning you know science through experiences on you know their local riverbeds like the amount of um and i do think you know if there's one positive thing that came out of covid um it's this idea that learning can take place outside of a classroom and be really powerful and be really effective um if done in sort of, uh, you know, an effective way. I mean, I think that's, that that's implied, but people feel a new sense of power in finding unique ways to teach their students and to teach their, um, even their, their coworkers and their peers, like the professional development that that model has shifted and changed. Suddenly there's, you know, conferences on listening, truly, like there's conferences on what it looks like to listen. And then suddenly that transfers and translates into really powerful professional 
um, conversations in a school. And, and so there's a lot of neat things happening that are unconventional, that are innovative, that are creative, that are unique. And it excites me about, it excites me imagining all the people doing those different things, all having a conversation together. It excites me, you know, hearing from all these ed tech innovators and knowing that there are teachers and school leaders that will be made aware of their unique inventions, creations, and vice versa. Um, so I think there's a lot to be uh, looking forward to. There's a lot on the horizon. And you might not hear that on your news clips. You might not hear that in your uh, newspaper headlines. And you might not hear that on you know the radio. But let me be very clear, after hearing from a lot of different people all over the entire world, there are good things happening in education all over. We just have to start putting them on the stage. I, lo I love it. So as we close up, you know, people, you know, I, I think we'll, we'll love getting connected with you, but what's the best way to learn more about your work and get connected with you? Certainly. Um, we have a website, condiconsulting.com, and you can sign up for meetups there. Um, oftentimes, although we try to make as many available as we can possibly accommodate, sometimes they are full, but there's um, a location where you can, in, you know, share your email address and then we can connect. And also on email, I am so interested in chatting and connecting, uh, Caitlin at condiconsulting.com and reach out, you know, with ideas, with uh, thoughts, connections, whatever it is, I'm, I'm interested. So those would probably uh, be the best ways. <laughs> that's great. And I'll link those a little bit to the, to the notes for, for the podcast, but Caitlin, I thank you for reaching out and inviting me into your work. I thank you for this time and your energy and excitement for the work ahead. So thank you. No, Eric, thank you. This is such a gift to have these conversations and to be connected with people like yourself who are just truly in it for all the right reasons and, and leading such fantastic work. So I'm really grateful and I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you.